Well, welcome to week two of a series we're calling Summer Cruise. It's the season where if you can get away, you try and get away. And uh, we're not only going to be talking about getting away uh, today, uh, but really the whole idea of this series is looking at different boats in the Bible. Going to take the next eight weeks and we're going to look at real stories that actually happen to real people just like you and me in a different culture, different context, different century, different millennia. But yet there are truths that we can apply from the Word of God to our everyday life. Last week, if you weren't with us, I'd invite you to check out week one. It stands on its own, um, but we talked about this whole series as we launched these different boats in the Bible. We talked about the smallest boat in the Bible, the little ark that Moses was placed in in the Nile River. And I think it's gonna be a really encouraging word for anybody that wants to listen. And so I encourage you, if you don't have the Timber Creek Church app or you've not checked out our website, timbercreekchurch.com, you can look at on-demand different messages from the past. You can watch those, uh, and I think it will be a help to you uh, as we launch this series. So uh, today, uh, as the music indicated, I want to get away. I want to fly away. We're going to talk about somebody who wanted to get away, somebody who wanted to take a vacation, but it wasn't just a, a vacation from the ordinary. It was actually a vacation from God's directives. It was taking a hike from where God had said go to where their heart uh, said go. I'm reminded of this, uh, this old movie um, with Richard Gere and Sean Connery, and uh, it's called First Night, and there's this woman who's in love with not only the king, but he's, she's in love with the knight. She's in love with, with uh, uh, Lancelot, and uh, the king loves Guinevere, but, but he says she's in love with Lancelot, and he says, uh, in my best Sean Connery, sorry, but he says, uh, <clears throat> your will says me, but your heart says him. Yes, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. And she goes, I, I, I can choose to love you with my will. And the, the truth is, that's really hard uh, because the heart, uh, out of the heart, everything flows. And there is this heart issue that we have with our main character that's in this boat story. Uh, the will is one thing, but the heart says another. And I'm talking about a very popular person in the Bible. If you've been around church at, at all, especially as a kid, I'm talking about Jonah. And we're going to talk about a boat that never should have existed, but only existed not because God put them on the boat, but because they ran away from God and got on a boat. Now, I know that the story of Jonah who later on in the story gets swallowed by a whale and, or a big fish and is spat up, covered in vomit and mucus on the shore of Nineveh. I know this is a hard story to swallow. <laughs> Get it. Um, and I, I'm not just being fishitious. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. That's enough. No more of those. No, no more of those. Um, I want to talk to you about a story that seems far-fetched. It seems far-fetched that, that a man would run from God, get on a boat, be thrown overboard, and then swallowed by a big fish and taken back to the, to the direction where he would, had run from. But I also want you to know that even though it seems like a tall tale, um, unfortunately what we've done over history is we have put um, Hansel and Gretel up next to David and Goliath. Hansel and Gretel and the witch and the breadcrumbs versus a, a real account of something God did. And Jonah is, is no exception. And here's part of why I believe that the story of Jonah is true. 
uh, is number one because it is in the Word of God, and I believe the Word of God for me ought to be the moral compass for our church and for your life if you consider yourselves a Christ follower. That you ought to believe that it is the God-breathed Word and that you can stand on it and trust it and rely on it even when it disagrees with you, even when it disagrees with culture, that you can stand on the Word of God. Uh, but, but secondly, I believe this story because Jesus, as he's in the flesh, completely divine but completely human, and he spends those 33 and a half years in the flesh, then dies on the cross and raises again. As he's teaching, he actually references Jonah in a very important moment. And we see this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, this is Jesus talking. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And, and Jesus isn't just making a parable here. He's talking about the, like the hinge point of us being followers of Christ, like the hinge point of relationship with God. That is the death, burial, and resurrection, the payment of our sin, the atonement of our sin on the cross. And he's connecting it to what some people would just say is a tall tale. So to me, I think a good habit in life is, if Jesus believes something, you ought to believe it. If Jesus has a habit, you ought to have that habit. If Jesus has a certain conduct or conviction or character, you ought to have the same conduct, conviction, or character. It's just a great, it's a, it is a great practice for all of our lives. I would also say it this way, even though it sounds like it's a, it is a pretty big story that, that, that's hard to even imagine this could really, really happen, the Bible's clear. Nothing's impossible with God. You know, sunlight, you don't doubt sunlight. Sunlight hits your face when you walk out into the, into the parking lot today. It's traveled 94 million miles in eight minutes to radiate upon your face. And God, the creator of the cosmos, designed it where the sun and the earth would be just enough space. If it was too far, we'd be too cold and, and shrivel up and die. If it, we were too close, we'd burn up and not even exist. There, there's, there's such a handiwork to God's masterpiece. And I would ask you this question, if you, if, if you have a hard time with the story of Jonah, I would ask, hey, is it easier um, to create a fish or command a fish? Uh, it's one thing to create it because SeaWorld's been trying to command fish for a long time and they've done a decent job seven out of ten times, I guess. <laughs> but, but to create the fish, that's in the hand of God. But here's what I want to say about Jonah before we go any further. Number one, there's so much to talk about. I'm going to break this up into two parts. So this is like a, a doll within a doll of a sermon series here. I'm going to talk about Jonah next week too and the other part of the boat story. But we're going to just jump into the very beginning of Jonah's story. But here's what I want to say. I need you to look at me in the eyes right here, Dieball Duncan and everybody at the Lufkin location, and take your notes and fill this in because here's the truth that we're going to start with. Number one, if we fixate on the fish, we're going to miss the elephant. There's an elephant in this story. It's the elephant in the room right there, right here. It's the elephant in the room. And the truth is this. We can look at such the descriptive piece of this story that we miss the prescriptive piece where we should be prescribed a way to live versus just describing this larger-than-life story. If we fixate on the fish, we're going to miss the elephant. Here's the elephant in the room. Here it is. This is a story about disobeying God's clear directions. There are times where God so clearly speaks and we ignore him. 
Sometimes we don't ignore him. Sometimes we simply, we simply just disobey him. And this is not for people that are far from God. This is for people that love God even now. Jonah was not far from God. He was not a pagan. He was a prophet. He was a man of God who disobeyed God. I am encouraged today that the book of Proverbs says a righteous man falls many times. It doesn't just say a man falls many times. A righteous man falls many times. You can love God and fall because you are not perfect. Jesus is the only one who's existed. It's why we lean on him, not our own understanding. But a righteous man falls, so we see Jonah fall. But let's not just look at the story. Let's learn from the story. How about it, everybody? Because you and I, a time or two, we're going to do it. I have fallen short. You're going to fall short. We have the capacity that tomorrow or three years from now, or even when we're older in age and we think, oh, they're a saint. I mean, there are people that are saintly, been serving God for years, and they drown in the shallow water. Because they got tired or they got frustrated or they finally allowed things to slip and they lost their resolve. I don't want to be that guy and I don't want you to be that guy or girl. So let's start by unwrapping this story with the very first chapter. It's only like 48 verses. Like you could read this this afternoon before you take a nap, okay? You, you, could, you could read this quickly. I encourage you to read it this week. Read the story and we'll finish the story uh, next Sunday. But here's Jonah chapter one, clear directions. There is, there is nothing confusing about these words. If you're confused, there's something wrong with your, your brain, okay? Here's what it says, Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, before we move further into the passage, let's situate the geography and the history of Nineveh. These aren't in your notes. You may want to jot some of these down, though. Nineveh was an awesome city, the great city of Nineveh. Considered by scholars one of the most beautiful cities in antiquity. A population of over 600,000 men and women strong. Hanging gardens all across the city. 60 miles in circumference. More than 1,000 towers 120 feet high within the walls, and the walls alone were a feat of architecture. A hundred feet tall walls, wide enough for three chariots to be able to ride around the top of the city walls. Lions guarding the gate. I'm not describing, I'm not describing Aladdin walking in with the genie. I'm talking about the city of Nineveh, a real place that now the ruins lay under another city called Mosul, which is in Iraq and exists even today. But back then, it wasn't ruins. It was the place, it was, it was the place to live if, if you were a Ninevite, okay? Anybody else, you might have issues. It sounds inviting. sounds like you might want to get like a three-day Airbnb. But before you get the Airbnb, you might want to check the location and all the surroundings and the, and the culture that's going into this area. It's like me and my brother 
and my brother-in-law for Christmas one year, my mom bought us, uh, gave us an experience in Washington, D.C. with an author whose name is Mark Batterson. Uh, he wrote a, a book called The Circle Maker, many other fantastic books. And my mom organized for a Christmas gift for us as pastors to sit with this pastor uh, for a half a day and just talk, talk leadership. And talk. And it was such an incredible experience for Christmas. And so us boys, we said, well, let's add a couple days extra and uh, let's, let's get an Airbnb. It'll be cool. And I think we'll be in this location. And so there in Washington, D.C., we got the Airbnb. And when we got there, we were going, the guy who, who, who we met, anybody ever done Airbnb? No, no, just me? Okay. Um, uh, we, we got there. And the guy said, hey, meet me behind the side of the apartment complex. I can't really go in the front. And we're like, oh, okay, this is dicey, <laughs> all right? And so Airbnb, if you're watching today, I'm kidding, it didn't happen? Well, wait, maybe it did. No, uh, so he says, we got to go through the back elevator, the, the concierge at the front and the person at the lobby. They don't kind of like me doing the Airbnb thing. They've kind of put a thing. So, oh, okay, so we're breaking the law. This is awesome. Awesome to know. Awesome to know. We're just three pastors going to meet with another pastor. <laughs> We get up to the floor and we walk in. There are seven, I'm not kidding, seven cops on the floor, uh, yellow tape around a door uh, down, the, down, the aisle, down the way of this apartment, the inner apartment complex and a condo thing. And uh, as we walked by, I said, what happened? He said, oh, there was... Couple of pro <laughs> they just said it like this. A couple of prostitutes just got beat up, and we're just figuring it all out, and we just got to had to haul, haul somebody off to jail. We're like, oh, okay, cool. Glad we're Airbnb in it up, baby. You know, it was our room. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't. It wasn't our room. It wasn't our room. Still had a great time though. We had a great time. We did double bolt the door. Um, what am I talking about? Nineveh. Nineveh. <laughs> Your average day, Washington, D.C., Airbnb, baby. No, here, here's the deal. Um, the scripture says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, it's a great city, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, now, now, now listen to me, everybody. Okay, listen to your pastor. Just because something great happens doesn't mean it's great. Something great in your life also has the capacity to be wicked. It may feel great. It may seem great, it may look great, but it has the capacity to bring turmoil in your life. Do not judge things by the shininess or the greatness of it. We judge things based on the word of the Lord. And there was a great city that was also very wicked. You know, we have a great nation, but we also have a wicked culture. We can say, God bless America, but God can also say, if my people will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I'll heal your land. I'll forgive you your sins. And we can live in a great place and have a wicked culture. We have to be cautious of that. In fact, you can go to a great church and, and live a wicked life. And the more we do that, sometimes we, it, it, gets, so, it gets so twisted that, 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 that we... we we just kind of lose sight of the importance of evaluating our lives and evaluating the great things. But is there anything in our lives that, that God would say, that's not me. That's not what I want for you. That's not my plan. Yeah, you're having a great time, but that's also wickedness coming up in you. The truth is Nineveh was an awesome city, but it was an awful society. 
Because in this huge gardens hanging from towers, in this beautiful uh, city, it was full of a culture that were ruthless, sadistic, bloodthirsty savages. The reason they had all they had was not because they had invented something other than inventing unbelievable war. They were a savage, ravaging, raping, and pillaging culture. The Assyrians would go and conquer other people groups, would take the spoils of war, and through slave labor that, that they didn't kill, they would build those 100-foot-tall uh, walls. They would, they would cling together those pieces of jewelry and antiquities. Um, they were ruthless. They would rape the women. Uh, they would skin the men alive. Um, they were uh, known to specifically after conquering a city, because you can't post it on Twitter or on Facebook back then, their only social media was to take living captives, and instead of taking them as slaves, they would, they would nail those captives to the wooden gates of the city by their tongues. They would take soldiers that weren't killed on battle and they would dig holes and they would bury the soldiers up to their, up to their necks and would let the animals of the night finish them off little bit by little bit. It's even been said, and I hate to go this far, but it's even been said that even in the dungeons of Nineveh, they would force prisoners 24 hours a day to listen to Justin Bieber songs. It was, it was <laughs> like, it was torture. It, it, it was. So, so literally though, I kid, I kid, I kid. But seriously, other cities would, would evoke um, mass suicide within their own walls versus facing Nineveh when they heard that they were on the march against their city. And so when a Hebrew who's not an Assyrian has lived his life seeing and hearing about these rapists, these ravaging, murderous savages, and he then hears the clear direction, go to Nineveh, and not just go to Nineveh and kind of scope out the land, go to Nineveh and preach Against it. In other words, I want you to go to the most bloodthirsty place on the planet right now, and I want you to tell them a God they don't even believe in, a God that they don't even serve or care about, from a guy who they'd rather skin alive than have coffee with, tell them that they're wicked, preach against them. That's the assignment. Jonah says, <laughs> Okay, no! Of course not. And here's, here's Jonah's response. Jonah heard clear, but he ran away from the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish. Say that three times fast. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, the port of Tarshish. You know what's so interesting about Joppa? Jonah is in an intersection of life at the port of Joppa. A few hundred years later, the Apostle Paul will leave from that same port, the port of Joppa, and will travel beyond the borders of that country to share the good news with people that desperately need it, that their wickedness has come up against them. 
Jonah had the same chance. And it's, it's interesting how the reverse, I just want you to know God has a way of putting you where you need to be at the right time in the right place. And he is a God that doesn't play wipe out faster than, than, than he provides a way out. Because you know, Paul, it was more reversed. He was actually wicked. He was actually part of persecuting Christians. He held the coats of the guys warming up to stone the first martyr, Stephen. He was a part of it. And he was on his way to do more of it in the city of Damascus. And Jesus shows up in the middle of that intersection and reroutes him. And he went from wicked to strong. But Jonah is in a way that where he went from strong to running from God. But the good news is God meets us where you are, not where you should be. Are you just thankful this morning that God isn't waiting for you to get where you should be? He meets you where you are and walks with you, walks with you, guides you, leads you, doesn't just give you directions like Siri on Google Maps. But he says, I'm going to walk, with, I'm going to show you, I'm going to interrupt your plans. I'm going to interrupt. And sometimes I'm going to give you good things. But, you know, Paul, he was blinded. Jonah, he was scared. But God meets us right where we are to take us where we need to go. And he knows more than we know. Regardless, Jonah, the prophet of God, runs away from God bound for the port of Tarshish. And after paying the fare, he was all in. He went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Another version says to get away from the presence of God. I wonder how many times we've allowed things in our life where God is confronting us, but we flee, we, we, we step away from the presence of the Lord for what seems to be the convenient detour at the time. Listen, everybody, God does and has and will ask you to do some things sometimes that are uncomfortable, that doesn't jive with where you want to go that doesn't feel like it's going to end the way you wish it would end. And in the middle of that, you, you, you've got to be, be ready to trust him. But the good news is, no matter where we are, God has a way of meeting us where we are. Sometimes uh, we get addicted to living the way we feel things should, that we deserve. Jonah, no doubt, feels like, man, I've been faithful. I kind of deserve, like, why, aren't, why don't you send me to Hawaii? All right? You know, Tarshish, that, that's, that's more of a tropical place. That's a better place. A lot less crime. A lot, lot less, you know, I looked at the report and there's a whole lot less humidity and a lot less skinning people alive. So, you know, kind of like thinking of maybe Tarshish, okay? And, and, and God, God is not after you to always just be convenient. If you're looking for a God that gives you everything you think you deserve, or a convenience, then guess who really you're, you're serving? You. You're the God. He's not the God. If, if, if life didn't turn out the way you feel like it should deserve, then try being your own God. See how that works out for you. Uh, spoiler alert, it won't. It won't work out for you. It, it, what seems right to a man in the end can lead to death. And God, even though he may ask of us an assignment that doesn't feel good at the time, he knows better than you. But let's situate this geography. You can see that Joppa, he's on the port now. It's modern-day Tel Aviv, Israel. That's where the port of Joppa is. And about 400 to 500 miles up this way in Iraq is Nineveh. 
It would have been a, a, a couple of days journey on, on ship, depending upon the, the, the trade winds. Uh, but instead of going to Nineveh, uh, he decides to, and instead of taking a ship through there or traveling on land, instead he decides to go all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, past Italy, all the way to the edge of Spain. Like if you're going to disobey God and run from God, Here's what I would suggest. Like, just go to your room and put away the knives and the scissors. Like, like put away the sharp objects and just lay in bed and watch Netflix. Like, don't go hang gliding. If you're going to run from God, don't try and repel the next day. Hey, I'm going to run from God, but I'm also going to try some skydiving tomorrow. Don't do that, okay? What does Jonah do? He gets on a boat and he spins like potentially weeks to get, he's not, he's only going to spend a little bit because God's got other plans for that whole cruise excursion thing going on. They're going to go visit the whales here in a minute, the great fish. But here he, here he is going to travel all the way across. That's a good idea. Let's get on a boat and let's cross a huge mass of water. But Jonah is doing what you and I do. And we give Jonah bad, we give Jonah, you know, kind of, I, I tell you this, at least Jonah was willing to allow his story to be placed on human history, on the stage of human history. I mean, that is a, that is a good quality. That it, we didn't, it's not hidden in time, but it's there for us to learn from. Jonah said this in not so many words, and we say it in not so many words. Here's what we say, write it down. God, I still believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. I believe you're a good God. I believe, I believe that, that you, you want good things, but I'm just not going to do what you ask me to do. And we say that in marriage. We say that in love. We say, God, I know your word says it this way, but there are eight or ten different things in the word that I believe you, but I'm just not going to do what you asked me to do because, because it just doesn't make sense to me. It just it doesn't work for me. It means I would have to give up too much. It means I would have to struggle with this. And, and God, if you're really a good God, why would I even have to struggle? Yeah, says the Son of God who so struggled on the cross for you and for me who understands pain, who went through pain, so you would know he knows what you go through. But I, I believe in you, and that's what we need for salvation. But then obedience, God's looking not just for believing, he's looking for action behind the believed. He's, he's looking for you to then activate what you believe. But we run. We run. There's many reasons we run. Many reasons why maybe you're here today and you've been running Reasons why I've run before and have the capacity to run next month. I can give you many, but let me just give you two reasons. We tend to run from God. Okay, the, fir the first is this, number one. We confuse God with a bad experience. Because in life you will have trials, the Bible says. You will have trials in life. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on the Christian. It rains on the pagan. It rains on people that got all of their stuff all organized and people that are disorganized hoarders on TLC. There, there, there is, it rains on good people and bad people, but it says it rains on the just and the unjust or the righteous and the unrighteous, people that serve God and people that are not serving God. 
both have bad experiences. And what can happen is we confuse God with a bad experience, a bad experience in life, a bad experience in church. People have walked away from God when really they were walking away from a bad church experience, but because of the bad church experience, they choose to walk away from God altogether. And it's terrible because the church is made of the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is made up of imperfect people that have the spirit of God living in them, but they still have the flesh to deal with. So because the body of Christ is the spirit within us, but the flesh around us, we got issues. We got issues. And people will see issues in the church and they love to write about them on Facebook. Listen to me, Timber Creek. Don't you ever bash another church on Facebook. And you know what? Don't bash this church either. (laughs) But while you're at it, whatever, this church, don't, do not criticize other church. Like, well, we need to stand up for what's right and what's wrong. You let other, the, 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 the world is full of critical people. Let them be critical. Okay, you focus on what God is wanting to do, not, not this little nitpicky, stupid stuff, okay? All right, sorry, rant, rant over. It was a conversation I was having last night about the church that, that, that if we're not careful because of social media, we're turning. It's like we turn on one another. The Bible's clear. The Apostle Paul talks about Christians devouring other Christians. It's like the zombie apocalypse inside the church walls. It's like <laughs> devouring each other with gossip and slander, biting the neck out of people because did you hear what they did or did you hear what they posted or did you see what they said? Uh-uh. Spend our time fixated on the fish of the story, missing the elephant. I will. (laughs) We confuse God with a bad experience. And so the church lets us down. God must have let us down. Life is good. God is good. Life is bad. Where are you, God? It happens. Uh, the marriage got turned at some point and it caused a downward spiral of unhappiness and discontent and it led you to where you are and all you can see is where you are, not all of the things that you did have, but now what you do have and the bad experience, if we're not careful, we say, God, why did you make this happen? God, why did you let this happen? And it, ha- it rains on the just and the unjust. You know, the prophet Jeremiah writes in a book, Lamentations. He's lamenting. It's a, it's a sad write. It's a sad story. And it's really surrounding the time where Jeremiah was the prophet and, this, and the nation of Israel had been taken captive. They had become a slave nation to Babylon. And they were, their city of Jerusalem was conquered and they were forced to take on another place, to leave their city and to go and be in another place. And Jeremiah is lamenting over this, but it's the word of God through Jeremiah. And and here's what he says in the middle of this tough moment, in a bad experience, okay? My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. Some of you have had a bad experience in life. And, and your, the soul inside you is bowed down. It's on the floor. It can't get up. It doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And so your soul begins to tell your flesh, don't get up out of bed in the morning. Or your soul tells your flesh, this isn't worth it. Your soul tell, and, and your soul, because it's downcast, everything else follows suit. He says, my soul is, 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 is downcast. It's down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. See, it's so important. I want to say to you, Usually God's fingerprints on your life are better seen in the rearview mirror than in 
the mirror you face today. You have to take a time to look back, to build your soul up, to be reminded of where God had placed his hand on you back then. Because sometimes when you look at the mirror today, you can't see God. You have to look back and remember all the places that God was so that in the moment where things don't seem good, where the storm is brewing, that'll be another boat we'll talk about in a few weeks when the disciples are taking on water and they say to Jesus himself who's asleep in the boat on his, my pillow, he says, do you care? They say, do you care that we're drowning? And in the middle of the storm, you're saying, do you care? Sometimes you, you gotta stop in those moments and you gotta look back in the rear view mirror. And this is what Jeremiah begins to do in this lamentation. This I call to mind. I'm gonna remind, I'm gonna look myself, I'm gonna look in the rear view mirror and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I don't feel his love right now. My love has been broken. My heart has been broken. My, 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 my sin is an issue. Uh, I don't like that this is happening in my life. I got laid off. This is happening. This is ha over here. This is a struggle, but the steadfast, fast love of the Lord never ceases because he loved me back then when I went through that thing and he loved me over there when I went through that thing and he was there faithful when I when I was struggling with that and when this came through and I was just talking to some friends of mine in the lobby between services who their son is going to start school this next year but a few years ago about five years ago it was really crazy in ICU when, when, when it was it was hit or miss and we didn't know what was going to happen with that little boy and right there in the middle of ICU it's hard to see the fingerprints of God in the lobby, fast forward, we can rear view mirror the thing and say, oh my goodness, as we were praying, a new, a new doctor came up into the situation and said, we're gonna change this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna, re, we're gonna rethink this, and in and, and just a matter, of, a matter of moments and hours, his, his, his little body began to respond. God was doing something. Now, God didn't just start when he prayed. That doctor was walking up the stairs before they were even praying. Why? Because God is always on the move. Even before they were praying, God was, the doctor was walking up the steps. And sometimes you got to look in the rearview mirror. Yeah, we're thankful that he's going to school in, in, a, in a couple of days. Like, give mom some time off, bless God. But we also got to remind ourselves of, whoa, remember that back then? Ooh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Scripture goes on to say, let me just give it to you because it's beautiful. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the morning, you may not see it, but then the next day, you're reminded of the mercies that were new that morning. You may not see it that day, but then the next day, when you look back, you say, oh, wow, God, God was faithful back then. I didn't know if he was going to be faithful, but then I forgot that, yeah, three years ago, he was faithful, and two years ago, he was faithful, and one year ago, he was faithful. God is faithful. Don't base your understanding of faithfulness on anybody else except God. He is faithful. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I'll put my hope because some trust in chariots and some trust in horses and some trust in their man and some trust in their job and some trust in this and that and the other. But I'm gonna hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. So waiting, you gotta embrace the wait because waiting equals becoming the weight of this thing. Waiting in, in a season for God helps you become who God's calling you to become. It's good for those to wait him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Bear the yoke in his youth. Here's what it means. The earlier we can get our kids to understand, trust in God with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. That's a yoke they place it, it, it's, it's a yoke that sounds like it's bondage to be under a yoke. But, but yoke is actually a liberating thing if we're willing to give the reins to the master. 
yeah, the horse that's not surrendered is going to struggle with the yoke. It's going to want to G when you're saying haw. I think G was right and haw was left. You say G and then it goes like haw left. That's my, my great grandpa Tate who used to plow with an actual, you know, plow like that. He'd have donkeys connected in the yoke. And if, the, if, the, if those horses or donkeys weren't broken or trained or surrendered, you're, you're not going to do what you need to do in the field. We've got to surrender ourselves it's to bear that yoke in our youth so that later when we're older, we can look back and say, okay, okay, okay. God, you've been faithful. Two reasons we run from God, bad experiences that we confuse with God. And then number two, we think we're going to miss out. If I surrender to God, I'm not going to have any fun. Like, I know God way says this way, but I'm wired this way. Yeah, it's called him being Lord and Savior. People love a Savior who will pull you out of, a, out of drowning in the deep end. But not a lot of people want a Lord. I guarantee you, how bad, no matter how bad your dad was, if you were drowning in the deep end of the pool in the backyard and he pulled you out, you'd say, Thanks. But then actually listening to dad or following dad or surrendering to, you know, his rules of the house, that becomes a different thing. Everybody loves a savior. Not everybody wants a Lord. And we're going to think we're going to miss out. We got the little FOMO going on. You heard me wrong if you thought I said something else. FOMO. Fear of missing out. It is a fear of missing out. That's why the guy says, uh, don't delay seven minutes before this commercial. Uh, we've got 74 spots left. Only three, only three hotel rooms left at Priceline.com. Only six minutes and you'll get, if you click now and submit and for $24.99 extra, you get the bonus VIP experience. And FOMO, fear of missing out. We've got to have this. We've got to do that. We'll click. We'll, we'll buy the thing on the infomercial. Everybody else is sleeping well with a MyPillow. Maybe I should sleep with a MyPillow. He guarantees it. Jeremiah, the same prophet who was lamenting, he wrote another book, uh, Jeremiah. <laughs> and when he wrote that book, he gives us a buzz scripture. You know what a buzz scripture is? Like buzzwords? It's a buzz scripture. Someday I'm going to do a series on buzz scriptures. Like scriptures we say, but we really don't understand the context of. Like we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because you have a vision to do something big and it seems bold and it's crazy. I can do all things through Christ. And you make t-shirts and you're, I'm, I'm hurdling, you know, I'm running the hurdles at 280 pounds. I can do all things through Christ. No, I can get a headache. I can get stitches. <laughs> I can do all that. You know, I don't care what your t-shirt says. You ain't running over those hurdles. <laughs> I mean, you might run through the hurdles. But you ain't jumping no hurdles. But I can do all things through Christ. It's taken out of context. That's all about contentment. I've learned to be content with a little. I've learned to be content with a lot, Paul says. I can do all things with, through Christ who strengthens me. It's about contentment, okay? Not about your next vision. But we take it out of context. Here, here's one we take out of context. Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have. This is on like every senior graduation card, Okay. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future thanks and gig them. Okay, like it's just, like it's, it's right in there and we think all of that is scripture. <laughs> but just because you read that part, okay, does not mean that in the moment you're going to feel like you're prospering because this is written to a, to a group, the Israelites, that have been in captivity. They're They're slaves. They're a conquered nation. 
And he's saying, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Well, it doesn't feel like it because we're like slaves. We just saw our city burn as we were walking out, all tied to the rope back to Babylon. Oh, no, 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 I got plans to give you a hope and a future. Yeah, what kind of future? Is a slave? And he goes on to say, and this gives us better context, you're going to call on me and come and pray to me, and I'm going to listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, what had happened in the middle of this slave culture, in the middle of this conquered Israel nation, they decided, well, God must have abandoned us. So instead of serving one true God, the way that our forefathers said to serve and have no other gods before him, do not make a graven image, guess what they uh, resorted to? If, if, the God, if the one true God wasn't hearing them, they were going to create more gods. They were going to follow more gods. So they started taking on the customs of the cultures around them. And because their crops weren't really happening the way they wanted to happen, they prayed to the crop God. And because the water was starting to dry up, they prayed to the water God. And because, you know, they, they, wanted, they, they, they needed to be fruitful and multiply, they prayed to the sex God. And they had all these different gods as, as alternatives to the one true God. And he's saying, yes, you're going to have prosper, prosperity. You're going to have a future. But here's the, here's the hinge point. You got to seek me first. You got to seek me first with all your heart, not a divided heart. God would rather you be 100% for him than 60% for him. Because 60% for a God, he's not really your God. God is either God of all or he is not God at all. And here's what happens, though. It's the payoff paradox. When we're, when we're, it sounds, it's easier to preach. It's harder to live. I know. I know it. Because we deal with the payoff paradox. And here's the payoff paradox. If you are obeying God, if you're obeying God, the cost is almost always short term. There is a cost to obeying God. There is a no to flesh, yes to him. There is a, I need to live in boundaries because of God's directive. But the boundaries of a fishbowl are not like to a fish, oh, there's no fun. I want to jump out there and lay on the carpet. The boundaries of a fishbowl are beautiful. That fish lives within those boundaries. If you take the fish, if you take Nemo out of the bowl and you throw him on the stage, he's going to flip and flop and floppity flap. And then he's going to die. But I wanted to be free. I don't like these restrictions. I don't like these borders. I want to live my own life. I want to live my life. Teenagers saying, let me live my life. You don't even know, mom. You don't even know, dad. You don't even know. I can't even. Let me live my life. The cost is short term. But let me tell you, when you're obeying God, the reward is long term. You're going to spend a short-term cost, but the reward is long-term. Here's the payoff paradox, though. When you disobey God, you could use this for habits, good habits and bad habits. But let's make it spiritual. Following God or running from God, obeying God or disobeying God, the reward is short-term. But guess what? There is a reward in disobeying God. That's the paradox. There is actually some things that are great but are wicked. There are things that are great for a short time, but are wicked. And what we think is going to be so awesome brings so much pain. Short term, it's good. That marriage has been dusty and stale for a long time. 
And you decide to get out there and explore. And all of a sudden, that short-term reward energizes. But the cost is long-term. It's, it's the payoff paradox. And what God is inviting you to do is not ever pay anything. There is a cost to following Jesus. But can I tell you, the greatest cost of all of it was way paid a long time ago before you ever got your spiritual ducks in a row, before you could ever do anything, before you could ever cover anything. He already finished the work on the cross for you. He paid the highest debt that could be paid, that you owed, but you couldn't pay it, so he paid it for you, and now it's done. So maybe you are disobeying God. Maybe you're trying to pick up the pieces of a struggling life. Maybe you got some regrets. Maybe you've been running from God. I want to say, it's not over. It's not over for you. Will there be potentially long-term consequences? A cost that you might have to pay because you disobeyed? Yeah, maybe. But the moment you begin obeying God, he begins to activate rewards that you would never see until you really surrender to him. You gotta let God be God. You gotta trust him, you gotta obey him. Even when it seems, whew, I'm going to miss out. So as we finish up, two questions before you board your boat. Jonah had an option. Jonah, Jonah could decide here, what am I going to do? Am I going to listen? Am I going to go? But no, he goes roadrunner. Beep, beep, and he heads to Tarshish. So two questions I want to ask you before you board your boat of whether you're going to follow God in this next season or whether it's gonna be more comfortable for you to do it on your own free will. Two questions, number, number one, what am I running from? Is there anything you're running from? Because I know we wouldn't in so many words say, I believe you God, but I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. It sounds a little different. It's usually not that brazen, it's usually not that blunt, but it does happen in little activities that we allow. And you know what's very tough? It's harder to call out to God when you're running from him. And the greatest way to get in tune with God is to call out to God, but it's really hard to call out to God when you're running the other direction. My, my, my little sister, when she was like four or five years old, she was sitting on my dad's lap in the living room there in Paola, Kansas, and, and she was telling dad a story, and he was, he was enthralled in a book. And he was trying to listen. He was reading this book. And, and my sister said to him, Daddy, listen to me. You know, for us today, it would be our smartphones or televisions. Daddy, listen to me. And my dad, as he's looking at his book, said, I am listening to you, baby. And she, her little tiny four-year-old hand, she grabbed him by the cheeks and she moved his chin up. She said, no, 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 Daddy, listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes. And I can tell you, it's really hard to listen to God when you have your back to him. And when you're running this way, I just want you to know God's not running the other direction. If you feel distant from God, one of you has moved. And it's not him. What am I running from? What, 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 what am I so chasing after that I think that this is going to be? No, there's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it ends in heartache and death and regret and loss. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh, God, how did I get here? It wasn't a quick and easy way to get there. It was a slow fade. And all of us have gone on that journey in some way or another. 
What am I running from? Here's the second question. What am I investing in? What will be the price of your obedience to God? What will be the price of your disobedience to God? This isn't in your notes, but you may want to write it down. My time equals my life. The way you spend your time is the way you spent your life. And so when you look down 20 years from now and say, what did I do with my life? It's what did you do with that two hours, that one hour, that 30 minutes, that 168 hours that made a week. And that 168 hours turns into one week, turns into 52. And before you know it, you're having another birthday and you're saying, what have I done with my life? Every moment counts. Your time is your life. What are you investing in it? Whatever you invest in will yield a return. And so if you invest your time trying to figure out a way to maneuver away from God, there will be a return on that investment of disobedience. But if you can stay faithful in the middle of when God even says, can you be here even though it looks tough? Can you trust me even though you're going, whoa, that's scary. Can you say, I trust in you, God. I'm not going to lean on my own brain and I'm going I'm to yield and surrender to you even when I don't even know what's behind door number two. There'll be a return on that investment. So I just want to ask you a few questions today. I want you to look right up at the screen. I'm going to ask a list of questions. Maybe one, maybe none of them apply. Maybe several of them apply. But this is how we run. It's not so blatant. God, I believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. Sometimes it looks like this. So here's questions we ask today. The first question is, has God been convicting you for years about a habit or a private sin and you just won't confess it and turn from it? That's your Jonah. That's your boat. Maybe it's this. Has God told you to reconcile a broken relationship that has been severed for years, but you refuse to swallow your pride and seek the person out? That could be your run. Has God nudged you to give into the kingdom in a specific capacity that requires you to readjust your priorities, your time, your talent, your treasure, into the kingdom of God, but that's going to mean that I would have to make sacrifices I'm not willing to make, and so I disobey God by not putting his kingdom first beyond just going to church. Are you in an unhealthy dating relationship, and God is telling you to end the relationship? Now, notice I put dating relationship. In, in marriage, it, it, it's, a, it's a different thing because it's the combining and, the, and, and the, the connecting of what God puts together. Man, you, it's just hard to undo what God does. It happens. It happens. And I want to challenge you that maybe there's an unhealthy marriage that you're in and you may be thinking it's just time to, to bolt. And maybe, maybe between you and God and understanding his word, and because of certain things, that's the only conclusion. Or it could be that God is inviting you to let this be a port of Joppa moment to decide where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Are you facing a challenging situation at work and God is calling you to take a tough, unpopular stance when it would be much easier to take the easy and popular way out? 
like Jonah, is God telling you to stay put when everything inside you says, run, move, throw in the towel? Or could it be the opposite? Is God telling you to go, move, take action, and everything inside you says, run the other way because the risk is too great? I just want you to know that no matter what God is saying to you, God's not mad. God's not going to get Jonah. <laughs> I'm coming, baby. I'm stirring up the fish and I'm bringing them after you, baby. No, that's not how God operates. When I was a kid and I was small and I would do something naughty, my mommy would grab me by the arm and would spank my bottom. And it would look a little bit like this. She's just spanking me in circles because I'm just running. The older I got, the faster I became. So when she would say, get over here, you're getting a spanking, that was my Jonah moment to go roadrunner. Beep, beep, psh, and I'd run. And she'd be chasing me through the church parsonage. I love it. And I'm chas she chased me around the dining room table and through the living room and back around and through the, 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 the bathroom that had two doors that entered into the kitchen and out the back door. And she'd finally yell at the back door because she wasn't going to run outside. Your dad's coming home. And I'd be like, <laughs> okay, spank me, spank me, spank me. Like, I didn't want to, and it's not because I was scared of dad that he would hurt me. I, dad was just stronger, you know, just stronger. And, and mom, you know, she, she wasn't as bold, you know. She was like, she had a great backswing, but she didn't really have a follow through. It was awesome. It was like, ah! You know, dad had his spanking paddle. Mommy would get a tie, you know, so I'd get a tie and just spank us with a tie, you know. <laughs> But you know when dad would get home and I had disobeyed mom, I would get disciplined. And in our home, spanking was a normal thing, a healthy thing. He didn't spank me to get back at me. Oh, you did that wrong? Well, I'm gonna make you hurt. No, no, no. A disciplined moment, whether it's spanking or a grounding or time away from something or uh, keeping something or whatever, whatever. Discipline is designed to point you in the right direction and get you back on track because you're off track. And the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. And so I want you to hear the heart of God this morning. Whether you've ran from him for a short time or a long time or you're still running or you're way far off and you think there's no way I could ever get back because I've done too much. I want to tell you, just like God began to get involved in Jonah's life, look at me. God gets involved in our lives not to pay us back, but to bring us back. He does not get in your life to say, oh, you're going to hurt for that, son. He disciplines those he loves, and he brings us back. So if you're running, God wants to get involved with you today. He's not here to hurt you. He's here to help you. Would you close your eyes with me? I've asked some questions for you to consider, and maybe the most important, though, is this question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? But you've had a hard time, maybe, because it means his way versus your way. If you're here today and you say, okay, not, not my will. Your will be done, Lord. I want to follow you. I've been making a terrible God for myself. 
would you guide me? For the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, because frankly, you've drifted from God. He's here to bring you back, not to pay you back. And you would say today, from here to Die Ball to Duncan Unit, I need to surrender to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a while. Just put your hand right up in the air. All across the room, right there in Duncan and Dieball, I need to surrender my life to the Lord today. All across the room. Yeah. I, I see you, ma'am. I see you, sir. Several hands. Sir, in the back, there you go. There on the side. You can put your hands down. Now, raising a hand and just repeating a prayer really honestly doesn't mean anything. It's about believing in your heart. I want to help you with that. And so you would just, you could just pray a prayer like this. Lord, I surrender to you. I believe you are who you say you are. I want to follow you with, with my next steps. I, I can't, I, I make a terrible God. I don't want to do that anymore. Would you be my Lord? Would you set me free some, from mistakes I've made and stuff I've done and I don't want to run from you. I may not even realize I've been running, but now that I see it, I, yeah, I've, I've not let you be my God. I, I give you my life today. Help me to take next steps in following you. In Jesus' name. Eyes closed, heads bowed still. And maybe there's another area. You love Jesus. You're a righteous man or woman, but you've fallen or you've not been following where you need to go and it's something you need to make right I'd just love to pray with you pray a prayer over you but if you just be honest with God and honest with yourself maybe just put a hand up I'd love to pray with you today I need to I need to follow God in a certain area yeah yeah me too guys me too hands up all over the room Lord Jesus thank you that you're not waiting for us to be perfect. You meet us in our imperfection. While we were still sinners, you die for us. So you, before you play wipe out on Nineveh, you're actually going to provide a way out for Nineveh. And you do the same for us. And so God, today we surrender. Come on, friends, you got to surrender. We surrender to you, Lord. That relationship, that situation, we confess it to you and you are faithful and just to forgive us that sin and to, to cleanse us from unrighteousness. We can be great lives, but we've got some wickedness in us and we surrender it to you. Heal us, move us, prepare us, teach us, call us, whatever you wanna do, Lord, we're gonna open our palms and it may not be easy and it may be a little scary, but we're gonna step out and we're gonna trust you for what is next. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said amen.